Mike, welcome back to the podcast. Thanks. Glad to be back. Yeah. So uh, Mike Rogaway, you're the business reporter for The Oregonian. Had you on, it was probably like spring last year. Yeah, I would say it's not quite a year ago. Yeah. And I think at that time we were chatting before this. It's kind of the sky was falling a little bit here. We had mass layoffs at a couple companies and, you know, fast forward a year and things are looking good. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think there is is some reason for optimism. You know, we talked at the time much about 2016 and then 2017 didn't really go a lot better in Oregon Tech. You know, we had uh, Sure ID collapse. Right. We had Microsoft pull out of Wilsonville. We had more layoffs at Intel. Not nearly as many as in the past few years, and we had a big mm-hmm. shakeup at, at and layoffs at Simple, uh, the online banker, mm-hmm. and so that was tough. But I I think that Oregon's overall economy is really roaring. It's perhaps the healthiest it's ever been, and it doesn't make any sense for the tech sector to stay down at a time when everything else is going well. And I think there is some reason to believe that things are getting better, you know, just in the past, just what we're three weeks into the year and we've had three significant venture rounds so far, uh, fleet logistics, nurse grid and sheer ID, which is different from sure ID, totally unrelated. Yeah. And I want to, I want to dig into those two and, um, because uh, I know you just wrote about them, and so we'll find out what they do. But we're, is this the lowest unemployment we've had in 20, 30 years? Yeah, or so <laughs> what we hit uh, Oregon's all-time low on record, you know, and that they haven't been keeping comparable records but for more than three decades or something like that. But it's the lowest ever, and it's the lowest annual unemployment. That was in July, and it was the lowest annual employment. I think it was 4.1% for Oregon in 2017. That was the lowest by a lot. I think the prior record was 4.7% or 4.9%. So, yes, unemployment is is the lowest it's ever been. There's obviously still parts of the state that are hurting, and there are sectors that are hurting, and there are populations that are hurting. And in some ways, when everything is going well, if you're not in a position to capitalize – Costs are going up. You know, business right. costs are going up. Right. Uh, housing costs are going up. Mm-hmm. And to some extent, we are seeing some bits of inflation in food and things like that. If you're a small business that isn't, for whatever reason, your sector or something about the way you're operating isn't capitalizing or you're an individual who doesn't have skills that are useful today, then it's getting tougher. But for everybody else, yeah, you know, <laughs> the boats are rising pretty fast. And I do want to talk about that because we're such in a transition here. We talked about it last week or last year in Oregon, just how the economy is changing. And since then, I've interviewed a lot of folks, you know, they're in corporations and they see it on the other end when they're trying to hire people. Mm-hmm. It's actually really hard to get people um, not only have the skills, but now that it's getting more expensive and more challenging to live here. Yeah, so. well, certainly... You know, when we look at the economic data, and a fellow named Josh Lehner, who's one of the state's economists, has done a lot of work on this. People are, there's a real labor crunch right now. And and some economists think that actually could be the source of our next recession Mm. uh, because businesses leave opportunities on the table. But as hard as people are working right now to find employees, what they're not offering yet is more money. Mm. Wages are only up you know, pretty modestly, there are signs that that's getting better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there are signs that there may be some wage hikes. Perhaps this year we may see some impact of that. Yeah. That, of course, could contribute to inflation and that yeah. could lead people to put brakes on growth. But there are some hopeful signs on that front. 
Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, um, you've been here a long time, and I've been here a long time, so to see that transition. But well, let's. I want to unpack a few of the companies that just got big investments, and what does that mean? You know, for their small companies, for them and and hiring, but for the economy in large. So one, the first one is the company Eugene and what's their name? Sheer ID. Sheer ID. Okay. And so this, this is, this is typical Portland in, um, I'll, I'll say this first. Sheer ID started down in Eugene. And I believe by a slight number, the majority of their employees are still down there. They say their headquarters are now in Portland. Oh, okay. So they were in Eugene, but you know, the talent pool there is, it's tight here. It's yeah. even tighter in small towns sure. like Eugene and Bend. Yeah. So, you know, they, they're a Portland company now, but they're, they're a real niche. They are um, authenticating user IDs for discounts. So if you want to reach college students mm-hmm. and charge them less mm-hmm. than other people, which, you know, you could imagine a lot of online services, it doesn't cost you any extra to support an extra customer. Yeah. But you can't afford, but students can't afford to pay full price. Well, you want to offer that discount, but you don't want it to be available to everybody. Mm-hmm. So it uses tools to identify, to assure that you really are a university student. You really are active duty military. You really are a veteran, whatever else, um, whatever other category people are, hmm. are trying to reach. So you can understand that there would be a market for that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's a niche and that's Portland's startup, um, culture is is just target a really narrow need mm-hmm. and hit it really hard yeah and they appear to be hitting it pretty hard hmm. and so they just landed like 18 million is that right yeah was it local funding that uh no it was primarily out of state and i'm not remembering the name of the firm that mm-hmm. that supported them there but it's the real deal okay yeah i mean i can see the need for that i mean i I try to scam uh, an EDU account for Spotify, <laughs> you know, or Pandora. Right. I guess that's going away with companies like this. So the next company here in town is like a logistics company. And it's a really young. Yeah. So Fleet, Fleet Logistics is a guy named Max Locke, and he's from Philadelphia originally. And at 14, he got started in small business, essentially. He's just he talked to him at the beginning of the week. And, you know, he said, Oh, you know, I just always wanted to work. I wanted to keep busy and I just enjoyed jobs more than school. Yeah. And his parents said, well, okay, we'll try it. And it, <laughs> it went pretty well for him. One thing led to another and he ended up importing paper cups from China okay. and found it fairly difficult. The logistics process is difficult. You have to find a warehouse in China, mm-hmm. a trucking firm. Then you got to get a customs agent. Then you got to find a shipping line. Then you got to do the same thing on the other end when you get to the United States. Well, there are freight forwarders who will do all that for yeah. you, but it's expensive and it's not transparent. Yeah. He thought there might be a better way. You might be. So he started off with sort of a Yelp type service, um, you know, to identify who's providing good service there. And then he began offering opportunities online for people to plug into those services, to sort of work around the middleman. And the logistics companies got really interested in that. UPS put, um, what, did five million? They, they let a five million round a uh, year, two years ago. And then this one is Lufthansa, uh, Lufthansa Cargo, which put a lot of money into uh, them this time. And their office is right by Pioneer Courthouse Square. I think they have 17 employees now, but I, I believe they'll get quite large in a hurry with this much capital. Interesting. And in, in that world, 
so I have the endless number of side hustles and my wife and I were going to like, you know, buy stuff from Alibaba. And, you know, yeah. so we looked in that world, the freight forwarders and all that. And we're just like threw up our hands and like, this is a nightmare. So interesting. We'll see. Was there another company? That yeah. Was? Yeah. The third is nurse grid, which is another one of these really narrow, <laughs> narrow niches. It's, yeah. it's nurse scheduling and it's founded by a registered nurse himself. Huh. And, uh, that's, the idea is that in terms of managing your workforce, you know, we talked about the labor shortage earlier. It's really tight in the healthcare industry. Yeah. It's really tight for skilled nurses. Yeah. So if you can manage them better, if you can, you know, as far as their time, you know, get the scheduling done, if you can increase their satisfaction yeah. as far as, hey, you know, I, I, I can, I know in advance when I'm working, it's easy to schedule. Mm -hmm. uh, you can make yourself a more attractive place to work, perhaps. And, you know, it's, and, you know, in terms of managing your, your organization, it, it's better that way too. So yeah. yeah, it's a narrow niche, but they obviously have attracted some interest. Hmm. So th those are the, the three venture rounds. There have been additional investments in a, a battery company and in Discogs, uh, um, uh, music library service or, well, it's the retailer, but it's sort of, they have a big library of music okay. that's been around for many years. It's not really a startup. These aren't really venture funding, but it does suggest that people outside the state yeah. remain interested in what's going on and are willing to put money into it. Yeah. I mean, for the first, like I said, a few weeks of the year, that's great. Yeah. So uh, we'll move and transition a little bit. Just talk about the, the bigger companies here and, you know, check in on their health and, um, you know, how's like the Intels and Nikes and how, how's that affecting, uh, you know, I drive, I live out in the burbs. So I drive by Nike almost every day and I see the big buildings going up. Right. Well, I, I don't, I don't cover Nike myself. So uh -huh. I'm, I'm talking a little out of school, but my, I sit right next to Jeff Manning who yeah. does cover it. And I, I'll say that last year was a bit of a shock for Nike, you know, years of growth and, and really high expectations didn't materialize, uh, competition from Adidas and, just difficult retail market, the, the brick and mortar retail market in general made things a little tough yeah. for them. So, you know, the, the sense I get, and again, I'm cribbing from Jeff's reporting, but the sense I get is that there hadn't been a layoff at Nike in many years. And, and if you know Nike, they, they have a very strong corporate culture. Mm -hmm. You know, people really live it. You've got all the amenities that come from working there and your community is built around it. So, yeah. When they laid off people, those who got laid off, it was quite a culture shock for them. It's like, well, wait a minute. I'm not part of this anymore. Mm -hmm. And then for the employees who didn't get laid off, they're like, whoa, so this could happen to me? Mm -hmm. And, you know, that happens anytime there's a layoff sure. at any business. Having been through companies with layoffs yeah. in the past, mm -hmm. I, I know how it feels. You know, Nike's still a big, healthy business, but it's yeah. it's been an adjustment. And again, cribbing from Jeff's reporting, um, you know, they're, they're doing this massive billion-dollar-plus expansion uh their headquarters in washington county and that's seems to be a difficult process a lot of subcontractors are very unhappy with how it's been managed and feel that they have done a lot of work they haven't been paid for mm -hmm. you know I, there's no no indication that nike isn't going to get its buildings built they're going to get the buildings built but it hasn't been a smooth process sure and there's a uh there's a lot of news kind of desk to fill part of those buildings. So uh, I was walking around there the other day because I know the person's head uh, construction who's giving me a little insight into it. So, I mean, maybe they will grow, they'll flex, right? Uh, kind of grow up for that. Um, well, I know you do cover Intel. Yes. Uh, did you... So it's a little difficult because in an, we're recording this about 
two hours before Intel reports its first quarter results. Sure. And there'll be, we'll learn a lot there. We'll learn how they're planning to spend the, the tax cuts that they lobbied very, very heavily for. Yeah. Are they going to give employees wages? Are they going to kick back uh, to shareholders? Uh, are they going to invest more in capital expenses, which would be very good for Oregon as its largest site and uh, most important manufacturing site? Those things will all be good. We will probably get some clues on that this afternoon. It has not been a good start to the year for Intel <laughs> because uh, they there's a security flaw in yeah. pretty much all contemporary microprocessors. It's not just Intel, but Intel, which is you know makes the largest of one category of a processor in the world. You know, they, pretty much every server and the vast majority of PCs have an Intel processor inside. Mm -hmm. All of them have a security flaw. That security flaw can be addressed. But it clearly slows up the machines. Mm -hmm. Intel knew about this for months, as did the other companies, and they were quietly working on a fix. Word leaked out, and Intel bungled its response. Mm -hmm. At first, they said that it was, you know, the, the, the reporting on it was grossly inaccurate. It turned out that it, the reporting was pretty much dead on. Mm -hmm. And they... Word came out just before the Consumer Electronics Show where Intel mm -hmm. wanted to show off its 3D cameras, its autonomous driving, its drones, mm -hmm. and it really overshadowed everything. Yeah. The company shook up its, its business. They moved executives from important teams into a new security group. We found out about that and reported on it. It's been you know two weeks since they did that. They still haven't acknowledged it publicly, mm -hmm. and it's not really clear why. If they have additional changes that they want to make... Mm -hmm. Or what we may find out this afternoon. Okay. Well, interesting. I mean, you know, Intel's always elusive, right? So. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I, I will say this, though, for Intel. You know, after, you know, about two years of stagnant share price, uh, where really nothing was happening with their stock, it climbed about a third at, in the last part of last year. And despite the security issue, the stock is about where they left it. Investors are buying in now to the idea that Intel is going to contain expenses. That's yeah. not necessarily good for Oregon or employees, but it can be good for the business. Uh -huh. And that they really have some real growth opportunities in data centers, in memory chips, uh, in new embedded technologies. Uh, people feel that Intel is a growth story. Yeah. And so that's that's been encouraging for the company after a couple of years when and I think they would acknowledge this they were trying to find their way in right. the post PC era. Mm -hmm. How many employees do they have here still? 19,500 they say. Wow. So yeah, yeah, they're they're by far they employ by far more Oregonians than any other business. Mm -hmm. Well, as kind of a, a business writer but also you know, tech lover of tech, uh what excites you about Oregon and kind of the opportunity for businesses here? Well, I think we're still, you know, as difficult as housing has been, as crowded as the streets have become, mm -hmm. boy, we still measure up really well to San Francisco and yeah. Seattle. And we've seen that uh, one after another, companies are putting outposts here. Yeah. Uh, little things, mostly, but, you know, they are growing. Amazon just leased more space in Portland. They have about 400 employees now, mostly at their their AWS Elemental subsidiary, but they have room to more or less double that. Now, that may be the ceiling on it because they're going to, there's going to be a great pull whenever they choose their second headquarters mm -hmm. uh, to 
put people there. Mm-hmm. But it, it's a sign that people still see this as an attractive place yeah. to do business. The the old Hynix chip plant in Eugene, mm-hmm. that's been closed for a decade now, and it really looked doomed to me. Uh, Corning has purchased it, and they clearly have something specific in mind for it. They haven't said what, but mm-hmm. they... Corning makes the Gorilla Glass, it's screens for the iPhone. Right. They make other components that go in um, mobile electronics. I think there's a very good chance something like that is going to start being made down there, and we could use some manufacturing jobs in yeah. Oregon right now. Yeah, interesting. Well, I didn't know that I purchased that because I know that's been, like I said, just kind of sitting there for a while. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I don't want to talk too much, but I got to have to. Uh, Talk about the news industry. I mean, it's just where we're we at a year from now. I mean, it's a lot of people would argue it's more important than ever to have great, you know, reporting, and um, we're it's a lot of distractions for attention between different things. Um, obviously, the, the Facebook kind of announcement and how they're going to treat news organizations. Uh, we'll see how that shakes out. Um, yeah, it's kind of it, it's an interesting time to be sure. And as the Chinese saying goes, the curse goes, may you live in interesting times. Yeah. So our former Oregonian colleague Arthur Sulzberger is now the publisher of the New York Times, and I think what he and the New York Times have demonstrated is that at least on a large scale, there is a way to do very, very, very well uh, charging readers to read news. And yeah. for a long time, people thought that the internet would do away with that. Uh, the Sulzbergers and the New York Times have proven that's not the case, that you can do very well by offering high-quality journalism. Now, that's on a national scale where you're talking about millions and millions of readers. It's not clear how that translates in more narrow segments or what it means in regional papers like ours. Mm-hmm. So, the, for instance, the All it's a, was a popular long-form you know, creative writing website it's winding down at the end of the month. You know, they had a broad audience, a committed audience, and one that I would guess advertisers were eager to reach, mm-hmm. but they weren't able to make it pay. Uh, the LA Times, under the ownership of this company, Tronk, appears mm-hmm. to be having a very difficult time figuring out where to go and is really struggling with its employees uh, who just unionized. Uh, regional papers like ours have yet to figure out a model. I think uh, there is a degree of there's a sense that there's a degree of stability uh, in that something like the New York Times model, a metered paywall, yeah, coupled with you know strong committed print subscribers, even in a diminishing number, can provide at least a plateau and stop the bleeding, at least for a time. It's not clear that's a long-term solution yet. Mm-hmm. And I mean, while this is going on and figuring that out, I mean, the traffic, I know just that for the Oregonian online is skyrocketing, right? Yeah. 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 Uh, we have far, far, far more readers than we have ever had. Yeah. Many, many, many more people read our journalism than ever have, even though we're a much smaller organization now. Yeah. But you know, the vast majority of those readers are not paying for it. Sure. And mm-hmm. online advertising has proven elusive. It's it's really in the hands of two companies. It's Google and Facebook, and they have shown no inclination to support journalism whatsoever. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I will say that it does not appear that face at one time it looked like Facebook and Google were going to also be the portals to our news and that, you know, we would have to 
they would be the channel by which people reached us. That has turned out not to be true, not close. Yeah. The vast majority of people come to us uh, either through our homepage or through specific articles that they're finding uh, through some other way, you know, some professional network or personal network, some way other than Google and Facebook. But those are still two important players. Right. And, and, you know, regardless of how people come to us, Google and Facebook offer advertisers far more than than we do because they know exactly who you are and they can sell that information. Yeah, it's interesting. And just not to get too down the rabbit hole of social, but, um, you know, there's some of these ex- original Facebook executives now talking about kind of the damage of social. And I think that Facebook's kind of realizing it's kind of a problem. So I don't know, as part of this new, their, their algorithm for the news articles, if that's supposed to be one of their things to try to help it, but... Um, they certainly haven't articulated it very well. Yeah. They may it may be within the company they have a greater understanding of how this will work than they have communicated publicly. Mm-hmm. What they've communicated publicly is mystifying. It yeah. makes no sense at all. There's mm-hmm. going to be some kind of up and down vote or something. Yeah. Well, we know how that goes. <laughs> right. You know, it, it's you know, the troll armies will mass. <laughs> right. And and you know, really disreputable sites will do really well. Yeah. And so we'll see. Yeah. For, for social, just you personally, like it's anecdotal, but I mean, most of me and my kind of close network, we've deleted the social apps from our phones. So you check on the desktop every once in a while. Um, professionally for you, I mean, you still got to be on these platforms, but in my world, Twitter is extremely useful, you know, because, okay. The only people who are using it primarily are people who are at their desks all the time. Right. And the only and it seems to be populated by trolls and journalists. <laughs> and, <laughs> but all us journalists put everything we write on there right away, and so you see the news immediately, and it's very useful for that. Yeah. You know, they have struggled to find a way to make money off their business and to make it appealing to a broad set of the population. It may that may not be Twitter's utility. It may mm-hmm. never work for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's extremely useful for me. Yeah. Facebook, you know. I, I haven't deleted the app from my phone, yeah. but I, I don't use it. Yeah. I, I find my news in other ways, and that has overtaken what I'm really after, which is communication with friends and family. Yeah. And it's not worth weeding through everyone's political opinion and weird news article post <laughs> to find out what's happening with a far-flung friend's yeah. kid. Yeah. And so... I, I don't think there's any indication that the social networks are in any, you know, the big ones are any Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat are in any jeopardy at all. Yeah. But uh, I think probably we understand greater than we did what they're useful for and what they're not. Yeah. I mean, on the flip side, I don't know how often you use LinkedIn, probably pretty frequently. I mean, but that's like my world for what I do. So that's, I've seen that grow. It's an extremely useful as a journalist, it's an extremely useful tool because it's people will put a lot of information about themselves out there and it's easy to figure out who's connected to who and where people used to work. And that's excellent for, for journalism research. You know, again, it's all self-reported. So you have to confirm it. (laughs) It's not necessarily true, (laughs) but it is, uh, it definitely leads you down a path that, that can be useful in reporting. Yeah. And so we're grateful to people who post a <laughs> lot of information get, about their, their professional lives yeah. on, on LinkedIn. Like me. So, well, Mike, it's great checking in again. I think we should, you know, do this again later in the year to see yeah. where things are at. And It'd be great. Fingers crossed the economy holds up and 
we'll have better stories to tell. Yeah, hopefully. Well, thanks, Mike. Yeah, good to see you.